0: And a loss of control is what makes a crisis so scary is that it takes you by surprise and it robs you of your power. When it happens to you and you write it down and look at the options and really sit in it, the reality of it for a situation, there's almost a calmness that comes from that. This is Moms in the Middle, the show
1: for busy parents, especially now who need a little help keeping their hustle in check. I'm Melanie Ng, mom of four-year-old Josh.
2: And I'm Ivanka Osmak, mom of George and Blake, a three-year-old and a, what are we working on? Seven weeks? I can't keep the week straight. He's he's more than born. That's what I'll say, less than a year. (laughs) More than born, less than a year. And we are back with another episode from home. Hey guys, if you haven't already, go and listen to our past episodes. We've got a few out right now. There's some fantastic insight, also advice about managing relationships, all kinds during this extraordinary time. And now we've also been talking about what we've been up to for the past couple of months, because it's Definitely um, unusual times for us as well.
1: A hundred percent. And no day is the same. Oh, wait, that's a lie. Every day is the same. <laughs> uh, groundhog. But it's a total groundhog day. But you can always check us out also on our social media account because that's where we're pretty active with all the, oh, do you hear that knocking? That is Josh. Is, is that
2: the police barging down your door? That's what I w- it sounds like. Oh I wish, wait, that's a four-year-old.
1: I wish. That's my four-year-old Josh. We're, we're not going to even edit that out because that is the reality <laughs> that is everyone right now trying to work and breathe and deal with the kiddos, right? So uh, all that funny stuff is by the way at Moms in the Middle podcast on Instagram. If you want to uh, have a listen to how we're entertaining ourselves, yes.
2: But first, what are we talking about Today. Oh, we're making sense of money. You see what I did there? Sense money. Anyway, uh, you got to get your laugh somewhere these days. Well, one of the biggest worries during this pandemic has been money because we've all been affected financially, whether you and your spouse have unfortunately lost your jobs, or you've seen reduced wages, hours, or you're just wondering, how do you handle the new financial reality?
1: So here's the thing, times are rough. And if you are one of the lucky ones that say hasn't been hit hard in the wallet now, now is the time to make sure you do everything you can to save. So what we're going to do is explore all of these scenarios today with certified financial planner, author, mom, repeat guest, the
2: fabulous Shannon Lee Simmons. Thank you for coming (laughs) back, Shannon. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Angie. Now, last time, you, I was going to say, sorry, Mel, last time you had your son, you're, he was only
0: weeks old. Yeah, I think he was five weeks old. Five weeks old. Yeah, and I was swaying him, and you guys were so awesome about it.
1: It's the reality, you know what? It makes it so much better, so much more real. And you, as a financial planner, yeah, is your workload because you're at home like everyone else. Is your workload super heavy right now, and how are you doing this with all the kids?
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, So I'm grateful for that on the one hand because business is is still clipping along, um, which is great. We've definitely pivoted uh, certain things so to keep it you know, accessible and everything for people, but we're still really busy with the kids at home. That's been it, totally wild to try to uh, logic around. And I feel really lucky for nap time. And I also end up working well into the night after bedtime. So I'm. it's, it's been, it's been a lot, but I also have an amazing team at New School of finance and uh, they've been picking up the slack because some of them don't have kids and uh, they have just been like my lifesaver so it's a it's still taking an online village it really is <laughs> yeah <laughs> to get it done it really it's like it always takes a village and it still continues to
2: I was saying we we have kids the exact same age both boys three and less than a year so yeah. we should somehow make something happen virtually or get together in the backyard when we can and when it's safe and uh and join forces
0: yeah <laughs> like, commiserate and celebrate <laughs> all
2: right so let's talk money. Last time when you joined us, we were preparing for the holidays. So we were talking about budgeting and how you budget throughout the year. And well, three, four, five months later, the unexpected has happened. And, you know, this is, I guess, what you save for. But then this is to an entirely new level because a lot of us are dealing with job losses or our partners have lost jobs or reduced wages. So where do you even start to um, wrap your head around um around your finances.
0: I think what makes this pandemic especially stressful from a financial situation is that this could go in a million different ways. And so how do you plan during uncertain times? Like, that's really the question that we're asking, regardless of what scenario you're in. Everybody's asking the same question at the base level. That's what we're doing. We can only know how this is going to play out so far. So it can be really overwhelming with your finances, trying to make predictions and long-term bets about what happens if this, what happens if this, I call it the what ifs, right? What if this, what if this, what if this, what if this? What if this? So um, that can be overwhelming and, and make you even more scared with your money than, than you need to be at this time. So first things first, uh, damage control. I think that's the first thing that I would do. Um, depend and like assess your situation. So if let's say you've lost your job and you have automatic savings going out to like RRSPs and TFSA's and RESPs, you want to stop those right now um, because there may not be enough money that's coming into your bank accounts as we speak. To pay your bills eat and like keep your head above water and it's okay like taking you know six to eight months off of your rsp payments is not going to make or break your retirement but but continuing to save to an rsp over the next six to eight months may uh make you take on credit card debt so i think like weighing the pros and cons and the long term versus short term and really focusing on that short term and uh, making it the huge priority uh, is what i would suggest doing with damage control so trying not to go into debt Lowering your expenses where you can. I think that that is something that we can have a whole conversation about. Um, And then also finding ways that the income is still coming in. So in Canada, we're very lucky that we have certain government programs, which many Canadians are qualifying for, which is great. And so um, if your income is gone, trying to apply for some of those programs and seeing what um, is still coming in so that you have some income and you can start to make a plan because The more unknowns that you get rid of, the safer that you're gonna feel and the more calm that you're gonna feel. So here's all the unknowns. Let's try to control what we can control and try to answer what we can.
1: What's a bonus, though, is that some of those things that were in our control, like the frill spending, like getting your hair done, your nails done, all that has been taken away from us, which is great. That way it's out of our pocket. But do you think once we get back into the normal to maybe look at that in general and go, do I do I need to go that often, even though
0: it was a luxury? Are, Are these places that I should look to save? everyone's going to be reassessing life as we knew it uh, across the board. And I do think that there's room for, wow, I I never really realized I didn't miss that service or that subscription or or that outing or that kind of expense. So there's going to be a lot of realizations in that point. And so anything that over this period of time that you have done without that you realize didn't really spark joy, like you don't really miss it. I think those are the expenses you want to be looking at. So if you're a person that used to go and I'm gonna use your example um, get their their nails done or something like that and then you stop doing it and you realize like hey I don't really miss that then by all means when things go back to quote normal that would be something that I would look to reduce from spending however if you're a person who stopped spending money on nails because they couldn't go and the whole time we've been off you're like man I can't wait until I do that I am like that's part of my ritual it made me feel a me time it was a self-care act or whatever your reason might be, then that may not be something that you want to reduce. You might want to look to some of the other reductions that happened in your life that didn't really spark joy. Kind of like Marie Kondo in your in your finances. You <laughs> wanna you want to look for the things the things you really miss. It's the things you want to put back into your life and the things that. You really realize you could do without. Um, maybe this was kind of one of those eye openers that you're like, wow, I do not really miss that. And it was just something I was doing out of habit or out of convenience. And I think we're people are going to find a lot of those.
2: You know what else is an eye opener is uh, what people's natural hair color is. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> I'm thinking I maybe I should just embrace, you know, I am a blonde naturally, but maybe I should just embrace and not go for highlights anymore. Um, okay, what about the bigger things? You mentioned uh, TFSA, RSP, stop those. What about...
0: Mortgage, car insurance, and then getting to TV, internet. Yeah. So the deferral programs, I think that's the next thing about reducing your expenses. So once you know, once you've applied for any programs and you kind of have the what am I actually going to make question answered, I think that's a big question. Like we should make a list of questions. What am I making? What am I spending? All that stuff. Um, so once you know what's coming in, then you can kind of suss out, okay, well, what's going out? And you can make a priority. So if you're in a position where you know some of the low-hanging fruit subscriptions that you may not want to spend money on, services that now you can't go to, um, are are still you're still not breaking even. I think that's a key point here. So you have two thousand dollars a month coming in, and your bills are three thousand dollars, even with a reduced load of expenses, and you've cut everywhere that you possibly can to be safe. At that point, you might want to look into some of the deferral programs, like a mortgage deferral program. I'll I'll go there first. So with that program, it's there so that you can defer your mortgage payments for up to six months at most financial institutions. So the first thing you want to do, you want to call and see if you qualify. I've had clients that thought that they would qualify that they don't necessarily qualify and each financial institution is different. So call yours. Everyone has different eligibility requirements. And so if you are eligible for it, then you really want to think twice before you do it because it's something that you should do in an emergency situation. So if you're on a reduced income, but still breaking even and not going into credit card debt, that is a bad situation, but not necessarily an emergency situation, because you're not sinking into credit card debt, right? There's, you're not taking on really expensive 19% debt that you're going to have to dig out on the other side of this. So I would say that is where we say, oh my gosh, this sucks, but I don't need to go into debt. If you're in a situation where you're like, no matter what I do, I'm going into debt, Um, then you might want to consider doing something like the mortgage deferral program. And that's because it's exactly that it's a deferral. So this isn't a break. And I think there's a big misconception that people are just like, peace out mortgage, see you in six months. (laughs) Like, (laughs) no, 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 that's not how this works. So it's a loan to you on your own loan, which is like debt on debt and compound interest. So let me explain that, like, just so that it makes sense. So if you defer your mortgage, let's say that your mortgage payment was $2,000 a month, and you deferred it for four months, the bank would basically lend you the $8,000 to cover that payment for those four months. And then they would tack that $8,000 back into your in onto your mortgage, and then you would end up paying interest in it. I'm obviously really dumbing it down. But like, that's the the basic math. So you're going to pay interest on the principal that you were supposed to pay and interest on the interest you're already paying. However, if you can't break even every month, and you are comparing that situation to $8,000 worth of credit card debt, defer that mortgage and do it without shame and do it without feeling low. Something happened to you and this is a tool that you can use so that you can protect yourself and your finances so that when you do have to dig out of whatever mess it is on the other side, it's contained. I like to call it like a controlled burn. Like It's like, it's like financial harm reduction. So, so that's the difference between when you should take advantage of those programs and when you shouldn't. If you're, if you're going to go into high interest rate debt, do it. As you're talking about these deferrals, Shannon, I'm thinking of
1: we were on a break, very <laughs> Ross and Rachel. Yes, right. Like if that will get drill it into your head, you were on a break. Yeah, it's a big gray area. Big gray area. <laughs> <laughs> do what you need to do. Um, at the very, very basic level, uh, listen. I am not a fan of spreadsheets. I am not. My husband is like spreadsheet man. There are dozens be of us on a t-shirt for yeah. him. Yes, and I appreciate it because I'm not great with budgeting and and actually putting. I think something about putting the numbers in front of you really puts things into perspective. Mm-hmm. When you see, like like you said, break even, like I'm making money here, I'm losing it here, 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 here with these subscriptions, equal up this. Should people really sit with their partners, significant others, and put those numbers down on paper or on their, on their computer read it to really put it into perspective?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's something so powerful about actually seeing it. So it's kind of like a Stephen King novel where you read it and you're really like scared and freaked out about the monster or whatever. And then you see the movie and and you're like, what? That's like not so scary at all if I see it that way. And I find that with people's financial situations, a lot of times our minds will be so anxious that we'll make what those potential outcomes are so much worse and scarier and what we think our current scenario is and how little control we have. We make all of that bigger than what it may actually be. And so when you sit down, and write it down and be realistic and hammer out what's possible and look at your different options you actually realize that more is in your control than you think and a loss of control is what makes a crisis so scary is that it takes you by surprise and it robs you of your power and so when you when it happens to you and you write it down and look at the options and really sit in it the reality of it for a situation There's almost a calmness that comes from that, from just being able to say, well, this is it, these are my options, and this is what it looks like, rather than the unknown, when you stick your head in the sand and don't know, um, sometimes it's way scarier than it actually has to be, and you still feel more out of control, so I think that writing it down is so powerful, and um, if you and a partner can do it together, if you're in a relationship, all the better, because then you can make sure that you're both on the same page. Um, Because I've had a lot of clients that have been complaining that, you know, their partner has a different financial survival mentality or philosophy than them during this, which is adding an extra layer of stress, because it's not just about the numbers, it's also about the strategy and the risk tolerance, right? Like when we start to get too far out, none of us have crystal balls, we don't really know how this is going to play out. And so if you start planning for too far away, Um, You're going to make decisions that are going to not necessarily be the best for the short run. And that's going to stress you out. Okay. um, I've had a few neighbors where I can see on their
2: doorstep at all hours of the day boxes being delivered. Small boxes, medium boxes, large boxes, and extra large. And I know I've had a couple friends say to me, I can't stop online shopping now. And I'm just buying everything whether they need it or not. And I know you've spoken about emotional spending. So I don't know if that is in this category or if it's just they're kind of bored at home and they think they need it
0: or what the answer is. But how bad is that? That is emotional spending. <laughs> um, I would say that boredom spending is also emotional spending. It's just, a, it's just an emotion that's a, like boredom is another emotion, right? So yes, I've seen a total spike in that. I can echo those exact same um I don't know, I guess not, not complaints, but people saying the same thing to me. And I've even been a victim to it myself, especially in the first couple of weeks, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm at home, I needed to get by all these activities for my toddler to keep him busy. And like, like things I never would have done before. But I just I didn't know what I was planning for. So again, that uncertainty and the lack of Feeling in control, I think buying things can make you feel like you have some control over how happy you're going to be that day. And when you don't know how happy you're going to be today, because nothing in your day is in your control, doing something like that feels like self care. And I think that's why we're seeing a complete spike in um, that kind of spending. Or when you're bored, it, it does provide like that dopamine rush when you when you shop. I also had a couple of people who were my clients that have said that the pandemic has actually really helped with a shopping addiction. And they realized, this is really fascinating, I didn't see this coming, that they were actually really addicted to the act of shopping. So going to the store and like looking at the stuff and seeing it and touching it and trying it on. And then they kind of felt like this obligation to buy something because they were in the store. Um, And so without being able to do that, online shopping is like not really doing it for them. So for someone who's a retail shopper, this has probably been a break in spending. Someone who already was very comfortable online shopping, I'm, I wonder if this has probably been one of those places to emotionally spend. And I've been giving clients a piece of advice that I would give to everybody who's listening. There's going to be some part of your money, even if you are in an emergency situation, that should be for you for a little bit of self-care. I think that if every single dollar is a scarcity mindset, fear-based decision how you how you're going to come? You're going to be in survival mode literally this entire time with no joy whatsoever, and that's going to be really hard on your on your like emotional well being over time. So I've been saying to people, if you I mean this is a lot easier if you're someone who has a job, but if if you're sitting there, take a small portion. I don't care if it's ten dollars or a hundred bucks or whatever it is that you feel like you can afford, and I'll get to that in a second. But choose an amount of money that you can afford, which in my world means you can pay it off within three months, um, like reasonably. Uh, that's that's to me, if you can buy something that's special for you and it's gone in three months, great, I think that that's fine. In the grand scheme of your life, that's not going to make or break anything. Do something for you. <laughs> and I would not count toddler preschool activities as something for you. That is, so you don't <laughs> have to beat yourself up if you've been doing that. Just make sure that you're not overdoing it. I think that, I think that line of reasonability is really what we're talking about here. Give yourself some permission, but not to the point where you're making yourself more stressed out because you're sinking into credit card debt.
1: Um, So let's say you're one of those people who are lucky enough to have their job still. Should you be looking for the savings regardless? For example, you actually had a really great message in our first Moms in the Middle at Home episode saying, okay, let's say you typically pay for daycare. Well, that chunk of change that you would have typically had coming out of your account automatically, you should put that somewhere, not just let it sit in your account, put it somewhere that would make sense for the future. What other tips like that would work for someone who is who is lucky enough to still hang on to their job?
0: Yeah. So if you still have your job, any of the government income that might be coming in. So if you get if you've gotten the CCB before, that's the child care benefit. And you got that $300 boost per child in May. Um, so putting that away, because that's extra money that was never expected in your financial situation, right? So we want to do something to better our, our, our lives with that. Um, or if you were collecting the GST, and you got an extra boost from that, the daycare is a huge one. So if you're if you're now not spending, you know, $2,000 a month on child care, you can put that aside to either pay down debt, or put it in an emergency account. I've been harping on emergency accounts for like a decade. And they are all, I even put this in my book. I was like, nobody likes an emergency account because they seem lame. What I always hear is everyone saying like, I want to make my money work for me. And like, no one thinks that five thousand bucks sitting in a savings account earning one percent a year is is doing anything for you and now I would say <laughs> I would say, <laughs> uh, my clients who have those boring emergency accounts are very happy that they are now not scrambling so I would say put it in put it to pay down debt first and then put it in an emergency account um the other places to like if you still have your job you can still continue your savings program to like RSPs and TFSAs and stuff like that I don't see any anywhere to stop that but I wouldn't do any deferral programs because you're not in an emergency situation. So there's no point in taking on debt if you've got enough money to break even. Went back to your original point, like sitting down and mapping out what's coming in and what's going out and answering those unknowns right now for you. um, You probably are able to find some savings there every month because you're just not doing as much as you used to do. And so whatever that amount is, maybe it's $500 a month, maybe it's $2,000 a month, like whatever that is for your family or for you, siphoning that off is going to make you feel again as a lot of this is about feeling in control um it's going to make you feel like you're being in control it's going to make you feel prepared for next time which is you know maybe not a pandemic but whatever life throws at you i think that some, there's something about being prepared that leads to you feeling confident and confidence leads to feeling optimistic and i think optimism is really a key thing that we all need to be feeling right now at least once a day So I used to
2: be the type of person that would step on the scale and weigh myself almost daily. And then I tried to do the weekly thing. And I know that's wrong. But what about if you do have um, stocks and you're looking at the stocks (laughs) every day and your mood almost changes like the scale? If you guys know what I'm talking about based on what the stock market is doing, is this something I should stop? Is this just a bad habit and just just put it (laughs) aside and don't look at it again?
0: You just described exactly what happens to people when they check their stocks or they check their like their investments on the, every day. It will hijack your mood. Period. Full stop. Because what that money represents is your nest egg, your future goal. So let's say you wanted to buy a house and that money is going up and down. Well, there goes your dream of home ownership in your mind, right? Like that's how, that's how big of a deal your brain is gonna make it right now when you're in panic mode. So that's not fun. The other thing is, oh, well, that's my long-term retirement. Great, what's been the point? why did I even try? So there's no positive emotion that's going to come out of that. And then when it does go up, it's a false sense of security right now, because it's, it, it's probably going to change the next day. So it's an emotional roller coaster that you just can't get off. Um, so here's my, my big advice. If you don't plan on taking action, so let's say that you that logical side of your brain is like, this is my long term retirement portfolio depressions, maybe recession. Yes. Uh, We don't know how long this will go on, but that is part of the normal cycle. I'm not retiring for another like 15, 20 years. This is, I believe that 20 years from now, things are going to be okay. So I'm going to stay in and buy while things are cheap. That's the log. That's a very like Spock, sorry for a Star Trek reference, but like, (laughs) um, very Spock, logical reasoned, uh, argument. Let's say that you actually philosophically agree with that. And then you log in, and you're like, "Go to cash!" Freaking out. So unless you unless you plan on actually taking action, you logging into your bank accounts every day and looking at your investments isn't serving you at all. There's nothing there for you. When even when you have a good day, it's a short term, temporary thing. And like somewhere in the back of your mind, you know it. So really, it's a false joy. That's like, when is the shoe going to drop? So there's there's truly it's truly not a it's not a real a real safety net. And I think the ups and downs and volatility make, even if it's an update, creates more volatility in your life and more insecurity about the future and really underlines that uncertainty that we're all feeling right now. So you're going to bed even more shaken than when you woke up. So no, I don't think it's a great idea. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So don't do it, Ivanka. Stop. Okay,
1: there there, there you go. There's that. Um, So (laughs) last time you were on the show, Shannon, we talked about um, the piggy banks. I remember like save here. Oh, for the kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we loved that. We loved that because of course, we're a lot about um, giving back as well um, and caring about others on the show as well. Now, here's the tough part because do you have enough to be able to help others? How do you know where to help others? And a lot of people have questions on, If I donate, let's say $100, I feel good about that. But is that going to make it to the cause that really gets to the front line or wherever it's going? So how do you, like, what do you, what steps do you go through in your mind? If you happen to have the money to be able to donate, what should you be looking for? What should you
0: be doing? Yeah, so if you do have the money to donate, I think it's a wonderful time to be able to do that. And I think there are two kinds of donations that I've been seeing a lot of. There are the ones that are to like a registered charity. So you can guarantee that tax, right, like the tax credit, uh, which is great. Um, and so I think that there's people who feel really safe donating to some like a... A charity that is registered, they know they're going to get the tax credits, so that's also a super boost, and then they just trust the name or the brand or whatever. But I've seen a huge uptick in GoFundMes and in donating direct to cause, which usually is happening through a, um, like a crowd sharing platform like a GoFundMe or something like that, um, you know. This family has children who like who has a sick kid and both of them are on the CERB. They can't pay their bills even with the mortgage deferral. Can you send help for 3 months and people are donating to that. So they're not going to get a tax credit for that. Like there's no you're not it's not a registered charity. But to your point, I think I think it makes people feel like they're doing something. I think it makes people feel like they're helping and there's so much of this that feels helpless, right? And and there's a guilt that comes with not losing your job, like a survivor's guilt that somehow you are not allowed to feel scared or upset or frustrated because there are people who are in such worse situations than you. And so I have found that um, giving back in whatever way that that looks and not really worrying whether it's a tax credit or not has been a really great way for people who have that um, survivor's guilt um, to, to, to feel a little bit better about the fact that at least they're trying to help someone who isn't, in, who isn't as lucky as they are. So I think that, again, there's layer upon layer upon layer of emotional work that you can be doing with your money. Yeah, well said.
2: All right, Shannon, thank you. So much. a final question actually from me.
0: Is this the last that we see of cash? <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not gonna make a prediction, but I will say this. I think that it was already moving that way I think that there will always be some sort of circulation just because there are going to be jobs that um, maybe require cash or people will. There's always going to be some demand for some cash. Right. And so I think that there will always be some. But do I think that there will be businesses that will stop accepting cash? Yes. So that's not to say that there isn't cash, but I think. For, you know, safety reasons, touching cash, then touching cash, then touching cash in a world where there's a, you know, a pandemic, and we don't know how long this is going to be there. That's something to think about. And so with delivery and tap technologies, I think they might up the tap technology ability to like, and so it's not so limited. So you can do all your shopping on tap if you needed to. Um, So I do think that you will see that. And if it's if it's not mandated or regulated, I think that you'll see some businesses that just straight up don't accept it. And um, and we'll see more and more of that as it goes on. So I don't think we'll be a cashless society as in our monetary policy will never produce uh, like currency ever again. But I think that people will just not be carrying it around unless it's really specific industries that will benefit from it.
1: I've had um, three $20 bills and about three loonies sitting in my wallet for about 10 weeks now and nothing has been touched. I know exactly what money is in my wallet. Not touching that for a while, but yeah. Shannon, thank you so much as always. Really great tips and uh, we wish you well. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay healthy financially. Of course you are. You're a financial expert. If you're not doing it, we're not
2: doing it, right? I'm
0: also a human, yeah.
2: (laughs) Go buy yourself something under $10. Yeah, right? Yes. Thanks everyone. Bye,
0: Shannon.
2: Bye. There's a lot of things that we can take away from Shannon. Uh, so, Mel, you start. What would you get out of this conversation?
1: I got, I got so much out of that conversation. In fact, I'm a little bit overwhelmed, but I think I'm going to start from square one, which is honestly just looking at the numbers at their very basic levels and seeing what's coming in, what's going out. Because for me, if I don't see it, if I don't see those numbers, they're kind of... In the clouds, right? Not to say that I I don't worry about it, but I don't really see their major impact. So I'm going to start there. Maybe I'll talk to my husband and start a spreadsheet. I guess that's like his heaven, but sure, I will get into the clouds and the heaven and the Excel spreadsheets with him. So I think that's what I am going to do at the very least. Uh, Ivanka, I think I know what you're going to say for what you're going to do.
2: You know what? I'm going to take the fun part out of Shannon's advice, and because you took the very serious and the what everyone should be taking out of it, but I am going to splurge on myself, even if it's just $10 uh, or it should only be $10, but I'm going to do a little buying for myself because it's been mostly things that we need to buy necessities or for, uh, for our kids. So that is what I'm going to take away from Shannon is spend it on myself. Uh, As always, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. If you like the show, you know what to do. Go rate it, go review it, and you can do that on the app.
1: And you can always continue the conversation with us on Twitter. You can find us at Frequency Pods or the website FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com, or we are always, always on Instagram at Moms in the Middle Podcast.
2: Thanks again. This episode was produced, as always, by Stephanie Phillips and presented by Frequency Podcast Network.